Welcome to the Women's Summit on Savvy Sabs podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Salvati. We're going to get started with the Women's Health Panel for the Women's Summit. So I want to go ahead and welcome all the panelists and have them introduce themselves. I'm just going to go ahead and order here and let's start with Joy. Hi, um, my name is Joy Marie Mann. Um, I have a, a show I've done for five years on YouTube and Rockfin. Um, I'm an activist and organizer. Um, and uh, about two years ago, um, I unexpectedly became disabled. So, uh, Savvy, thank you so much for having me. And also, thank you so much for, for having a, a disabled person on this healthcare panel. Sometimes we are not always included in such talk. So, I appreciate it. Anytime, Joy. Uh, Eleanor? Hi, I'm Eleanor. Uh, she, her, and I'm a creative radical and a filmmaker and a journalist. And um, that's pretty much that in a nutshell. I'm very excited to be here. This is a very important topic of both personally and uh, in my organizing as well. Awesome. Kim? I'm Kim Iverson. I host uh, the Kim Iverson Show, which you can find on YouTube and Rockfin and Rumble and uh, Locals. And also <laughs> I am uh, the host of Risings, um, of Hill, The Hills Rising. So that's where you can find me at this point. So, <laughs> And thank you so much for having me. Great topic. Awesome. Uh, Jimmy? Oh, I think Jimmy froze. I'll come back to Jimmy. Marianne? Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Marianne Williamson, and I'm an author and a teacher and activist, and I wrote a substack that you see the uh, okay. address okay. there on your screen. Uh, I'm, okay, I'm Jimmy Sunderland. I'm creative director over at... Jimmy, I think mm. you have a, a connection issue. You want to um, log off and log back on? Okay, sorry, Marianne. Go ahead. Oh, no, I just said I'm an author and an activist, and uh, I wrote a substack that's uh, the address there on the screen. And I'm a mom, which I think gives me a particular passion about tonight's topic. Awesome. So I want to go ahead and get started with the first question. Uh, this was actually pretty alarming to me. Uh, Eight million adult women who should be screened for cervical cancer haven't had that checkup in the past five years. And I want to get this opinion from the panel. What do you think or why do you feel the reason that some women are not getting those screenings? Because those screenings are incredibly important and life-saving as well. I'll go ahead in order and start with Joy. I mean, one word, money. Um, two and a half years ago about... Um, I woke up with excruciating pain, which I thought was like, I've had kidney stones. I thought it was the same thing. Um, and I was in pain to the point that I was shivering. I was rocking back and forth. I was like screaming. Um, and my husband kept saying, let's go to the hospital. I kept saying, no, I'm not spending the money. I'm not. I'll just deal with it. I'm taking Tylenol. Nothing's happening. Well, finally, he said, look, we're going to the emergency room. That's it. We're going. I don't care. We'll figure something out. I go. Turns out I have a precancerous ovarian cyst the size of a uh, tennis ball. Um, and uh, they said to me, look, and I have insurance, mind you. And they said to me, look, you're going to have to get this out. And I said, well, how much is it going to cost? And they told me with your insurance, only about $2,000. So I went home. And they said, well, don't you want to make an appointment? I said, no. And I said, I'll just take my chance. If I get cancer, I get cancer. What am I going to do? And then it was through a process of just accepting the fact. And, you know, one of my girlfriends said to me, Joy, look, if you don't get this taken care of and you do get cancer, it's going to cost more because you're going to have treatments and stuff. So I went in, I had the operation. Um, it turned out to be even worse than they thought. I had to have my tubes out and, you know, uh, it was very likely cancer. Um, but, you know, looking back at it, I'm just like, kind of, it. it's sad that so many women are faced with this, that they're like, you know, I might get cancer, but I can't afford to take care of it. 
So it's a hostage situation. I mean, my my story is not rare <clears throat> at all. Very true. Uh, Eleanor? Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you sent me these questions, it felt a bit like... Uh um serendipitous i guess because i i actually am a cervical cancer survivor um and i was diagnosed at a free clinic in los angeles because i did not have health insurance and um the free clinic was one of the few places i could go uh to actually get care um and you'd have to wait for like you know four or five hours <laughs> but you'd eventually get it um and you know it's the it's it's uh Thankfully, cervical cancer has a really high uh, survival rate, but and thankfully, I was able to access healthcare because I started working at a recording studio that had um, health insurance. Otherwise, I might not be talking to you all right now. Um, and as you know, Joy pointed out, that's the that's the money issue. But I'd also like to point out that a lot of women don't go uh, because of past trauma with the medical industrial complex. Um, and you know, hysteria actually comes from the Greek word for uterus. So, so many women are misdiagnosed because it's just considered to be anxiety or it's uh, hysteria or you're just being emotional. Uh, you know, your period pain can't possibly be that bad or this pain can't be that bad. You know, whether it be, uh, you know, during childbirth, uh, which I just went through three months ago, uh, or whether it's uh, something else, it's it's considered to be not that big of a deal and you're just being hysterical. And, you know, we think that we've come past this point. Oh, that's something that happened in the 1800s, right? No, this is really frequently something that happens. And it's even, you know, it can even be female doctors who say that, you know, this is probably not that big of a deal, go home and, you know, take a Tylenol and call me in the morning type of thing. So yeah, it's absolutely uh, the fact that it is a for-profit system, which is horrendous. It's horrific. And I think it's also because there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of discrimination against women in this system uh, that really pushes us to, to gaslight our own symptoms and our own, um, our own medical issues. Well said, Eleanor. Um, I'm gonna come back to you at the end, uh, Jimmy. Uh, Kim, I want to get your take on this. I actually, I want to know from Eleanor real quickly. How did she? Did you? Did you have symptoms? When you know when you or were you just going in for a regular checkup and then they told you this terrible news? I'm just really curious. I had particularly horrible period pain, um, and okay. so that's why I I went to the free clinic. So, but okay. Um, well, I'm probably like a lot of women and just exactly like this topic where I don't get my regular screenings. And I'm sitting here thinking, listening to Eleanor's story, like, oh man, I don't know when the last time I've been checked and maybe I got to go get checked. Um, because I would hate to get some, you know, bad news and then find out that it's worse news because I haven't been going. But, you know, for me personally, the big reason why I don't go for regular screenings like I should is because I haven't had proper insurance since I've been employed by a big company. And the last time I was employed by a big company was um, 2013. So since then, I've been independent, um, an independent contractor all of these years. And so I have to rely on um, the, the system, you know, like going into the actual healthcare exchange and the ACA and, and get my insurance. And so the problem with that is that each year I have to change insurance because the prices change. And so I can't, you know, one year it's one thing and then maybe I get a, 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 my, my income changes and I no longer qualify for, you know, for a while there I was on um, more of like the, the state program and then I couldn't afford it anymore because my income went up. And so then I had to switch to a different insurance. And when I switched insurance, I had to switch doctors. And it's just this constant circus of having to find a new doctor and a new clinic every single time. And then when you call them up, you know, they're like, oh, I can't get you in for a month or two or longer. And so then you just kind of forget about it or something comes up and you have to cancel your appointment because, you know, you're traveling or, you know, so it's just this, it's very, and, and then of course, obviously the cost, you know, it's very prohibitive. I just received a medical bill for a different procedure and it was like a thousand dollars and that's with the insurance that I have. And it's just like that, you know, that's so... <laughs> Who can, how can people afford this? And then especially now, right now we've got rising inflation. So people are just trying to figure out how to pay, pay their electricity bill because the electricity bills have skyrocketed. So it's just bill after bill after bill. And then just this 
constant shifting of insurance if you're not with a stable employer. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's like, think I'm getting married in three months. And so I'm like, all right, well, when I get married, finally, I'll have stable insurance because my husband to be has a stable corporate job and I'll be mm -hmm. able to get on some fine, you know, get on some stable insurance. But I think just the system, how difficult it is. And then for a lot of women, even if you do qualify for some subsidies in order to um, reduce the cost of the actual monthly premium, you've got to, you know, all of this proof of income and other, and if you're an, a contractor or like an Uber driver or something, you know, it's harder to do, harder to gather the necessary paperwork to even get the insurance. So a lot of people just forego it altogether. So I think um, <clears throat> that is, I, I think the biggest hurdle is just the system, of course, on top of the cost. Well said, Marianne. Well, I certainly support and agree with everything that has been said here. It's primarily an economic problem and also a psychological problem. The economics are simple. Uh, health is one of the many resources in this country where the real opportunities seem preserved for those who for, for those who have the money. This is why it's horrible that we don't have Medicare for all. It's why it's horrible that we don't have socialized medicine. And also, I think what Kim said is so important. When you don't have health care, it's not just about your health. It's also about the fact that it just takes up so much bandwidth to have to take care of yourself. And then you put on top of that what Eleanor talked about, which is women have particular issues of being of feeling like we won't necessarily be taken care of. And also, a lot of the cancers, breast cancer, uterine cancer, cervical cancer specifically that relate to women, do have to do with this kind of sense that women have that something just isn't quite right in ways that are not easily quantifiable, at least at first by the medical establishment. 100%. Uh, Jimmy, I'm not sure if you heard the question earlier, but the question is about uh, women getting screened for cervical cancer. And why do you feel some women are not getting those screenings? <laughs> um, am I all right now? Am I good? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Um, I don't, I, I've never even had a screening for cervical cancer or anything. So I, I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. Um, I just there's, I, I, I've never even thought about getting one or anything like that. I don't even have health insurance. Like I am living these questions that you're asking today. So if anything, I'm hoping to learn something. <laughs> All right. This is why we have to have these discussions. Um, but this this leads me into my next question, because one of the things I've kind of noticed, especially like in the workplace, it seems like as women, we're just kind of running around, sometimes running around in circles. And I noticed that some of my coworkers, they have busy lives. They have to go to work. They have to pick up their kids from daycare. Then they have to rush home in traffic and then cook dinner. And at one point I asked one of my coworkers, well, when do you have time for yourself? And her response was, I don't. And that leads me to this question. Studies show that women who are mothers or caregivers have a greater risk of poor physical health and mental health, including depression and anxiety. And I want to open this up to the panel. Why do you feel this seems to affect uh, women more than men? And I'll just go back up to the top to you, Joy. Um, so when I was researching this, it said that, um, and this is from a, um, a specific uh Caregiver Association, American Caregiver Association, I believe it's called. Um, it says 66% of caregivers are women. Um, so I think that kind of, you know, uh, works in there. Um, but also, I think that, you know, I, I'm trying to word this so it doesn't sound sexist, but I think, you know, even reading science, uh, you know, articles and stuff, we are typically um, more uh, willing to share our emotions and willing to uh, be more vulnerable and willing to voice, you know, our emotions and our care and things like that. And once you say those things, it becomes solidified. And then you start thinking about them. So maybe people who are caregivers, you know, think about what they're doing a lot. A lot of times it is workers or excuse me, it is family members. But also we have to think about the fact that most of these people are not getting paid. They are not making a dime for what they're doing. 
which is where a federal job guarantee would come in. Anyone who wants a job would get one. You, Savvy, would be getting paid right now for doing this panel. That's that's the beauty of a federal job guarantee. So women who take care of their kids, we know that's a job. People who are caregivers, that's a job. You know, and I think having that income as caregivers would take so much stress, pressure, depression off of people. I agree. Eleanor? There's so much to say, uh, particularly as I became a, a mother um, three months ago. Um, and I just thought like, you know, just initially with like in the first month of my child's life, he had like, you know, four different doctor's visits scheduled to make sure that he's gaining weight and he's growing and he doesn't, you know, have eight legs or whatever. And I didn't have any visits scheduled. And I'm like, but I grew a human and I, I, I birthed a human. I pushed a human out of me, like not to get too graphic, but that happened. And so why don't I like, why isn't something built into the system that makes sure that the, the, the person who did that is okay. And this also speaks, I mean, I spent half of my life in Sweden in Europe, there are postpartum visits for the mother to make sure everything from like, you know, that you're healing properly, but that your sex life is back on track. Like, how's your pelvic floor doing? Are you in pain? Like, are you able to have sex? Are you willing to have sex? Are you having postpartum depression? Like, how are you mentally, physically, uh, emotionally? And in the US, it's like, we don't care. You pumped out a child. You have given us more fodder for the capitalist system. Thank you. And move on. Like, now you can get pregnant again and do it all over again. You know, mazel tov. Um, thank you, by the way. <laughs> um, but I think that also speaks to like the capitalist mindset, right? And how also like as women and as mothers, we're also told that like we're not being productive unless we are pumping out children or and, uh, you know, working, you know, and that the idea of just sitting there with your child is not considered productive when really it's the most productive thing you could possibly be doing. You're laying the foundation for another human being's life. What could be more productive? But it's not quantifiably productive in terms of dollars and cents. And that's why the capitalist system doesn't care. And that's why, of course, they only care about an unborn cluster of cells. Uh, once it's born, they're, they like don't care. No daycare, no health care, no, you know, no nothing. Um, and so I really think that speaks to the rot, the systemic rot of the capitalist system in and of itself. Um, and, you know, this this being tied to the, the very concept of, of caregivers and that predominantly that has been women's work historically and even in you know today's world, of course, that that's not considered worthy of, uh, of, of, of giving, you know, the funds that are necessary to survive or even to thrive. Mm. Uh, Jimmy. Okay, cool. It lags. I live in my internet is horrible. Um, I'm going to have to completely agree with everything that Eleanor has said. I, um, I was watching a TED talk, uh, doing some research about this last night. And there's a TED talk called uh, The Pace of Modern Life versus the Cavewoman Biochemistry. And I think that the way that we are, the way that we live now in, in 2022, with, you know, working and, and, and finding things for ourselves and doing things for ourselves, but also coming home and taking care of the family that adds a, a, like a double extra stress and, 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 and responsibility onto our lives to where it does cause more depression and anxiety compared to men, because you will know, feel the responsibility of, okay, I got to get all my work done, but I still got to go home and make sure my kids are okay. And they're fed and their homework is done and they're in bed. And, you know, all the, the minuscule things, make sure the dogs are taken care of make sure everything's clean. It's always just tons of responsibility added on to being equal in society and working and providing and um, taking care of the family as well. So it, it's that's what I feel like that would cause it more than men. Kim? 
Um, well, you know, I, I want to give the, the basic answer of, well, women just, we don't ask for help, right? This is always what we say was, oh, well, we always take on all this responsibility with the kids and with the parents. And for me, I don't have children, but I do take care of, um, my aging family. So my uncle, I was his caretaker, uh, uh, up until he passed away. And that was a giant responsibility helping him through hospice care, um, and then I am also very much my dad's caretaker when he needs. And so recently, for example, he caught COVID. He's in his 70s. I had to rush up to Idaho and everybody was afraid to even go near him. And so I, of course, had to, uh, you know, be brave and go in there and and be his caretaker and um, and quarantine with him for like 20 days or however long it took. But um you know, we don't ask for help. That's the one thing that we always say. But the issue is it shouldn't be on us to ask for help because then that's another responsibility on us. Like we're supposed to then take all this responsibility and then it's our responsibility to ask the men for help. And the reality is society just doesn't doesn't treat men in a way like they're supposed to help, right? So it's mm. it's like they're only going to help when we ask for help to be the care. We have to ask them to babysit their own children, or we have to ask them to help with the elderly parents. And then they get really nervous because they're like, what do you want me to do? And oh, no, that's kind of weird and gross and too intimate. And I can't handle that. And it's we but it's when when I look back at the first time I had to do a job caretaking that was difficult, you know, or gross or inconvenient, I had to learn on the job. Right. It, they always want to say, well, women, it's intuitive. We know how to naturally caretake. And that may or may not be true. But I stepped up to the challenge because the challenge was presented and no one else was going to do it. I had no choice. And so if we treated men in that same way, I think men would step up to the challenge because they have no choice uh, rather than us having waiting. You know, right now, I think a lot of society is just, well, they'll just wait. And when the women want the help because they're stressed out, then they'll ask us. And then it's like, Asking them for help is also that adds to the layer of stress, right? Because then we have to train them, and we have to uh, we have to teach them. And it's like, oh man, like that's like I can't take on an apprentice right now when I'm already as my stress levels are as high as they possibly can be. But men will step up to the challenge when the challenge is when they have to step up to that challenge, and it's really up to us to put it on them. I think. Um, my father was my caretaker. My mom, I was raised by my dad from birth. So, uh, and he was a single father alone. He did remarry at one point briefly when I was like 12 years old, which is the worst time for a man to even think about bringing a stepmom into the family. <laughs> right. But, um, he stepped up to the challenge when he had to caretake, when he was, when he was left with a little girl. And he had no, no, and he was like, my gosh, he was like a 30 something year old bachelor being left with a little girl. What was he going to do? He stepped up to the challenge and he took care of me and he raised me my entire life. And uh, I'm still very, I call my dad every day. I'm still very, very close to him. So they, so it, I think it's a societal, um, you know, I, I don't know. And I don't even know how we shift that to get it to where there's an equal balance and the burden, especially nowadays when we women work. And so it's we're working and we're stressed with that. And then on top of that, we're taking on a lot of the caretaking naturally. And even if the men do help, they're not helping as much as the women, you know, and I say this with, of course, the big caveat that I was raised by my dad. So men will step up and uh, we just have to get to that. I, I, I just it's like a mentality shift, a societal shift is what I would say on top of the resources and everything. It's a societal shift in mentality. And, you know, when my dad was left with me, this was in the early 80s when men never got children. I mean, they were it, I mean, the mom could be like, you know, really off the rails and the court would still give the kid to the mom. Um, and that it, it took a societal shift for it to get to a point where society said men can do this, too. Um, and I'm a living, breathing testament to you know, I, there's there's some questionable times where I'm like, I can't believe I survived that. <laughs> when my dad was like, let's do this fun thing, Kim. I, I can't believe I survived, but I did. And I'm here to live. I'm here to tell the tale. So they will step up. We just have to <clears throat> ensure it, I would say. Make it happen somehow. Well said. Marianne? 
I don't think it's just a societal shift. I think uh, American people love our children as much as they do elsewhere. It's an economic and political shift. Um, when Eleanor was talking about European countries, I think the average American doesn't realize how little support families get in this country compared to other countries. If you have a system where our government continues to spew this nonsense about running the government like a business, that's the opposite of running it like a family. You know, if, if you have a corporate bottom line, that's, that's very different than a bottom line that has to do with serving your people. 86% of women have had children at some point. So at, at this point, what is happening is that they, when you talk about the, the stress factor, the mental, uh, the mental stress, mental problems that women are going through, it's not only economic, but it's economics that has to do with the, the emotional burden, the psychological burden that women have, uh, particularly when they are caring for children. We have a society, we have an economic system and a political system that basically thwarts the dreams of our young. Children are not old enough to vote, so they have... They they're no political constituency. They're not old enough to work, so they have no financial leverage. So women, millions and millions of American women are carrying the stress of worrying about the health care that their children do not have, the educational, um, the educational opportunities that their children do not have. And as everybody here has said, they're running home trying to get keep it all together. Um, so I think we really need to keep our focus on the fact that these are policies. These are policies that leave out children. It's policies in other countries that enable for those weeks and even months of, of um, care, of, of post, uh, postpartum care, both for uh, fathers and for mothers. It's policies that have to do with the fact that we do not have universal pre-K. It's policies that have to do with the fact uh, that so many children are living in poverty and so many mothers and children do not have health insurance. We do not have pro family policies. And um, I, I think that the more we realize how much we have been trained to expect so little, I think that that will matter. And also, I, I don't understand why any kind of feminist conversation is so almost afraid to mention children, because this is where so much of the stress that women are going through comes from. Uh, a woman having to take care not only of herself, uh, but the emotional, psychological, and physical burden of caring for her children. Mm. Quick question really quick to uh, Joy and Kim, because I've had this this happen to me uh, often, actually. Have either of you ever been made to feel like you're being selfish because you don't have kids? Yes. <laughs> yes. I would say that for me, like... Yeah, like all, I'm always stuck with doing. The, in fact, that's like why I end up being the caretaker for the aging family members is because it's like, well, you don't have kids, you know, and it's like that's always what it comes down to. Oh, yeah. And I notice it with my husband, too. Like if somebody calls off work, that's who they call. He doesn't have any kids, you know, and, and it's like. You know, I'm walking down the wedding aisle and people are like, when are you having kids? And I'm like, look. And now, you know, after going blind and stuff, I'm like, I'm kind of glad I didn't. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you are 100% right. Um, my friends who have kids, that they, they're like my babies and I love them. But like, like I had to, you know, get my tubes out for because it was precancerous. And like, that doesn't make me less of a woman. But I think a lot of times that even though it's not intentionally implied, I think a lot of times there is that, you know, that undertone there, certainly not tonight. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. And Kim, um, I was raised by my dad too. So we are right here. <laughs> Kudos to those men, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think it's about who has children and who doesn't have children. I think that part of personal maturity is caring about future generations. I, I think that my concern for the children of this country is not just because I happen to have one. I think that in any mature family system, any mature country, you were thinking about those who are coming after you. And that, I think, is where our concern for children needs to come from regardless whether we have them or not, is almost irrelevant. Good point. Um, this leads me to my next question. And this was pretty interesting, too. In the first half of 2021, 16% of male adults in the U.S. did not have health insurance, compared to 12% of female adults. 
men are more likely to be uninsured than women, yet women reported having more health problems than men, regardless of economic status. Why do you feel that women have more health issues than men, even though it appears that men are more likely to be insured? And I'll just go right back up to the top to Joy. So I think, um, you know, I think one of the problems is, is that being a woman is already considered a uh, pre-existing condition um, when you apply for insurance. Um, we are automatically uh, told to get checkups more um, than men. When my husband goes, he's told, come in yearly. When I go, I'm told, come in every six months. Um, we also, you know, I was looking up things scientifically as to why this is. And, you know, I think honestly, uh, maybe as a whole, women are just more concerned with how many problems we could have that men may not have be reproductively, be um, gynecologically, be, you know, we're more uh, susceptible, not susceptible, but, you know, to breast cancer, things like that. Um, so I think it is kind of almost instilled in us, um, even, you know, just growing up that we need to take care of our bodies, you know, the best we possibly can. Um, I, I think there's something psychologically to that. Eleanor? Well, I think it uh, I think it goes back to what we've what we've already discussed. Also, I did some research and uh, women are uh, more likely to spend they, women spend 33 percent longer waiting in emergency rooms than men. Uh, I think, you know, there was a story several years ago where Venus Williams, uh, I think everyone knows who that is, uh, the, probably the, the highest paid female athlete in the world, um, tennis star. She was giving birth and said that there was a problem and the doctor was like, nah, whatever. And this is Venus Williams, which also, of course, uh, highlights a, 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 an intersection of race and gender in this country. Uh, D.C. has the highest maternal mortality rate of, uh, of women in the nation which is higher than Iraq, statistically speaking, uh, and that is predominantly black women. So I think that this really speaks to another issue, which is, uh, you know, that that women have a higher likelihood of waiting longer. And then once they get care or once they see someone, they're less likely to get care and actually just get, eh, no, it's not that bad. Uh, and this perpetuates feelings of trauma inside the, the medical industrial complex. So you're less likely to go seek uh, help when you when you actually have something wrong, and I just wanted to uh, you know circle back to to something that uh, we we discussed with the with the kid thing. I completely agree with with Marianne. It's not about whether you have kids or not. And I actually was continuously asked for years why I didn't have kids, and I decided that unless I could answer the question why do you want a child, I wouldn't have one. The question shouldn't be why don't you want kids, as if it was a predetermined idea that you would have children, but rather the opposite. Um, and I think that, uh, in terms of like policies, I personally don't believe that the United States should exist as an entity. Um, I think that it was a bad experiment that was founded on genocide and, uh, enslavement that we should put to bed and that the grassroots organizing that's happening now, particularly in mutual aid spaces during the pandemic is showing what we can do in terms of care. That includes medical care. It also includes child care. It includes, uh, you know, caring for people in terms of their basic needs of food and housing. I think that is really what, uh, what we're looking at in terms of building a future where these policies are put in place by people in autonomous and self-determined spaces. Mm. Jimmy? Yeah. Um, uh, you guys have absolutely amazing answers. I feel like I can't even say anything because you guys are saying really good stuff. Um, I really um, like what Joy had to say is uh, in my own anecdotal evidence, uh, I know that like me personally, I have more health problems than my husband, but my husband goes and sees doctors more often. So it just seems like um, like what Joy was saying is that there's or, and Eleanor as well is that there's not enough time in a day for us to feel like we have, you know, enough time to go even and, and go see or, or go make sure that, you know, we're OK. We're just you know, we put it off. We think, oh, I, I can go do it in a week. I've got other things to do. And then we completely forget 
forget about it until it gets too worse and it's too late. And, you know, we we're in the emergency room for, you know, I don't know, a, a minor heart attack or a mini stroke or something, you know, at the age of 37. So I think that's the biggest problem is or it, it, answer to this question for at least in my own anecdotal evidence is that we don't feel like there's enough time in a day for us to be able to take care of ourselves right along with taking care of, you know, the husband, the kids and, and the animals and, and the household and making sure our own lives are happy as well. So. Kim. So, um, so just to, to re reiterate the question so that this is 16% of males don't have health insurance compared to 12% of women. So more women have health insurance than men, right? right. Um, and yet women still have more health problems. So I would say, first of all, well, we've got extra complicated parts. So we, of course, are going to have more, I think, health problems because we do have more going on. We make humans. I mean, that's like really amazing. Um, you know, uh, biology that we women have. But I think it's it's not surprising to me that fewer men have health insurance. Um, they're less likely even oftentimes to even go to the doctor when they've got something wrong with them. And so them not signing up for insurance, I think, would be pretty, you know, on par with that sort of sentiment where they think, oh, I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm healthy as an ox. I don't need health insurance. I'm fine. And so they don't go through the process. I would really love to see in this country. I mean, I'm a big fan of, you know, I've always been a big fan of, of like a single payer system. But even beyond that, I would like just an automatic system, sort of like I would like us to automatically be registered to vote. There's just some things that, you know, we have these complicated systems that shouldn't be complicated. They automatically give us Social Security numbers. Why can't they automatically register us to vote? Why can't they automatically right. register us for health insurance? <clears throat> It should just be where you don't have to go searching around for a clinic or a doctor in order to be seen for something. You should be able to just Google your closest health, your, your closest health clinic and show up and say, you know, call them up and say, I'm making an appointment. And it's sort of the way the British system is. Everybody's covered under the same insurance. So you don't need to hunt around for which one accepts my insurance and which one, you know, it's just you show up to the clinic. Same thing in Italy. My dad and I spent a few months in Italy. And it was awesome. I mean, you just walk into a clinic anywhere and then they'll just treat you. They don't even ask, like, what insurance do you have? Oh, we don't cover you here. They cover everybody. It's it's national insurance. And so um, why don't we have that system so that it's just simple and easy? And then rather than being 16% of men don't have insurance and 12% of women don't have insurance, it's just everybody has insurance. 0% of people don't have insurance. It's automatic it's built in. Zero percent of people should be unregistered to vote, right? Everybody should be registered. Everybody should have health insurance. Basic stuff for running, I think, a uh, an advanced, wealthy society. <clears throat> Marianne? Well, I agree wholeheartedly with everything that Kim just said. We do not live a healthy lifestyle in the United States. You know, there's a lot been a lot of conversation here about insurance and about going to the doctor, but we also should consider the fact that Americans have such a higher level of chronic illness than they do in other countries to begin with. And that has to do with corporate dominance regarding our food, uh, regarding our environment, regarding our, our air, regarding pesticides. And then the, the largest cause of illness, the underlying cause of illness more than anything else is stress. So all of the issues that we're talking about, the fact that women economically, and well, men as well, the fact that everybody's so economically stressed, the fact that the vast majority of Americans live with chronic economic tension and anxiety, the fact that they don't know how they're going to uh, uh, send their kids to college, the fact that they don't know how they're going to uh, be able to have the bandwidth even to participate in life in much uh, of a healthy in, in a healthy way, including self-care. So I think that we have to look at the sickness of the whole society. The sickness of the body is a reflection of an, our economic sick, sickness. It's a reflection of our political sickness. We have to look at the whole system and realize that it is not people-centered. It is corporate-centered. And as long as that fundamental error is not corrected, then these consequences are just these sort of collateral breakdowns that just happen to be our human bodies and our very lives. Well said. I have one more question left. Um, I believe we pretty much covered the stress uh, issue, but there's one part of this question I do want to, to ask. Heart disease is the leading cause of death among women, at least in the United States. Uh, one of the risk factors for heart disease is stress. The American Psychological Association reports that women are more likely to have a great deal of stress 
to go along with that, another cause of heart disease is diabetes and hypertension. And so I want to open this up to the panel as well in reference to heart disease and some of these other uh, illnesses that can cause you to have heart disease. Again, why do you think that this tends to affect women more? And I'll start with Joy. So I, I tried to research this and it's, it really is a difficult question. I know, you know, uh, as a whole, we are more depressed uh, and suicidal than we've ever been. We have, we are doing more self-harm than we ever have. Um, just the past two years alone, um, psychologically, our country has really been a downward spiral understandably. Um, so that alone, I mean, you know, and then you take someone like me who unexpectedly became disabled, all of a sudden I'm 43 years old and I'm taking, um, blood pressure, uh, medication first time in my life. Why? I don't freaking know. Cause I'm so stressed out. But then also, you know, when I was thinking about this, I'm also thinking about, you know, the inequities women, it's no secret when we go to jobs, we do have to work harder. And especially women of color, there's the disparity within the disparity. So yes, it is it is difficult when you're in a workspace, but then also you look at things and look at us, okay? So we, we go on camera, we do these things. Let's keep it real. For people watching, this is not easy. People can be mean, people can be, nasty and you know um some people would just blatantly ignore everything you're saying and make sexual comments like these are things that we deal with on a daily basis and when you feel like you're not being taken seriously and you feel like you have to one up to have that equity there is you know that added amount of stress Agreed. Eleanor? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would just say, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to quote a meme, you don't hate Mondays, you hate capitalism. Um, capitalism is a system that's based on the bottom line. Um, you know, I, I, I think Marianne said that this, this system is not about people. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, capitalism can never be about people. It is literally about extracting labor from people in order to funnel wealth to a very, very small portion of society. Um, and so I think that, you know, there's no way that we can address the stress stress issues. There's no way that we can address these healthcare issues um, without addressing the underlying system, and that is capitalism. And, you know, I'll say that, yes, Sweden, where I grew up, uh, has a bit of a better way of dealing with it, but it's still capitalist. I don't people say it's democratically socialist. That's that's BS. It's a capitalist system. You can't I mean, socialism does not exist in a capitalist society. So, no, Sweden's not socialist. Um, and so, yeah, people in Sweden are also very stressed because this is still a, a, a paradigm that they live under. Capitalism is oppressive in variations depending on where you are. And the U.S. is far worse than somewhere like Sweden, but it's it, it, it's still present. So I think at the core of this, you know, basically in short, you, you have to kill the beast of capitalism if you want to address any of these issues. Jimmy? Uh, yeah, um, I like the way that you answer capitalism is actually a really cool short answer um, of what I was going to say. Uh, when when you're, you know, a, a female and, and a woman of color and, and, and part of the, you know, lower middle class, what um, uh, I like to call uh, what I like to call is uh, the circle of nothingness. So it's like you need something, but you need something else to get that thing. And then you need one thing to get the thing before. And then you need the one thing to get. And there's like all these previous, like, um, you know, getting to a hospital or getting to a doctor's, you know, if I want to get to a doctor's, then I need a car. If I need a car, then I need money. If I need money, then I need it. But if I need a job, then I need a car again, you know, or it starts a whole nother circle. So that's what I consider um, uh, the, 
a, a, one of the major big problems um, with uh, uh, health and 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 stress and being a woman is that we we want to we want to make ourselves feel better. You know, we go and read these books or we watch these YouTube videos. You know, self help or you know do yoga on YouTube just to make ourselves feel a little bit better. But when it comes to the bigger scheme of things, there's always this circle of nothingness to where we're back where we started again, and it feels like after a while you're just everything is a big circle of nothingness and never going to get anywhere because once you try to make one step you get steps back you know so it's like okay i'm going to i'm going to start eating better this week and then all of a sudden um you get into a car accident and you totaled your car and uh you get coronavirus so you're home for two weeks you know so there you lost out on your money that you were being able to have to get yourself to feel better. So there's always, it's always like a wheel of nothing. And then one step forward, two steps back, especially when you're a female, a woman of color and part of the lower middle class. And that's hard. Mm. Kim? Well, um, heart disease is like, a, is, is, a, is a, I would say dear to my heart. And it's like, no fun. But my grandmother, she died of heart disease. Uh, my uncle that I care, that I took care for while he was in hospice died of heart disease. Um, I'm probably, if I don't die of something other than, you know, a natural, if I were to die of a natural cause, it's likely going to be heart disease, um, unfortunately, because it runs in the family and I already have, you know, that's actually what my bill that I was talking about earlier from that thousand dollar bill that I'm being hit with is because I have to constantly go in for heart screenings. Um, and I think that w one thing with the system that, you know, obviously the system has a lot of issues, but one problem with the system that isn't talked about very much is that it is actually misogynistic. And I don't throw that around lightly. Um, I'm not one that often points to systems and say, oh, they are misogynist or racist or all of these other ists. Um, but the medical system is misogynistic. It doesn't take women into consideration often when it comes to clinical trials, for example, mm -hmm. when a woman in a clinical trial says something's off with my period they just disregard it. They don't actually look at it and see if the medication had something to do with that. They say, oh, well, I guess, you know, um, like Eleanor, I think, was it you that mentioned that hysteria me is like uh, the Latin word for the ovaries, right? Like in is connected. And the uterus. Greek word. Uterus, uterus, sorry, for yeah. uterus. Yes. Um, and so that, you know, that is, that is, I mean, think about that. Think about how misogynistic that is right there to be like, oh, hysteria, uterus. Um, and so, you know, women go into the doctor and women say, I'm feeling like for me, I went into the doctor and I said, I feel chest pain. And they said, it's stress. That's what they say. And I said, really? Because everybody in my family has a pacemaker and they're all dying of heart disease. And then they say, oh my gosh, okay, now we need to start doing some echocardiograms. We need to do some, you know, other lab work on you. They took it seriously. Finally, when I said, everybody in my family drops dead of this. So is it, is my chest pain really just stress? Um, but that's, you know, they, uh, and that is anything like when you have an irregular period problem, right. And maybe Eleanor even experienced this with her terrible periods that ended up resulting in finding out that she had cervical cancer. You go in and you say, my period hurts. So they say, here's some Advil, like extra strength, or, uh, maybe it's your birth control. Maybe you need to switch it and get you on something else. And, or, but it's probably stress related. A lot of it is just stress. If it's out of whack, it's stress. Everything's just stress. It's not real. And then women drop dead from heart disease. You know, women have heart attacks. And it's, we think of these things as male issues. We don't think of heart issues as women issues. We think of when it's the heart for women, it's emotions. But when it's men, it's because they might be at like outside shoveling snow and then they drop dead of a heart attack. So we need, you know, the medical system I, it's starting to come around, I think, a bit, but still definitely has not progressed very much when it comes to women's health. Um, and it needs to get better because women are dying of heart disease. It is a real serious issue for us women. And we cannot constantly be looking at, you know, our chest pain and saying it's just stress, and it, which it is stress, but the stress is causing actual real heart attacks. And so, and, and just heart disease and heart failure, heart failure is the big one. And so, um, we've got to do, we definitely need, you know, the system needs to take us women, I think, more seriously. When we walk into the door, and I know for women of color, it is worse. Women of color walk into a hospital and say, I've got a pain. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, right. You're just making yeah. it up, trying to get something, you know, and that, that's that got that attitude has to shift. But again, that all boils back down to what 
I know we've all been kind of reiterating over and over on this panel, but the, the medical system of just being connected to insurance and money and the rigmarole that you have to go through has to change. We have to be able to walk into a clinic and be taken seriously. And they're not looking at us to see, are we just going to cost them money because we, we don't have insurance or we're underinsured? You know, it's got, they've got to be looking at us as a patient and not as an, a bill or a liability or a cost. And we've got to have the freedom to be able to walk into these clinics when we're feeling these pains and not worry about the bill that we're going to be hit with in the end because those bills do pile up and I'm experiencing it myself. It's not good. It's not fun. And so we definitely need, a, you know, obviously a giant overhaul to our medical system. As we watch our, our neighbors to the north and neighbors to the south and all around us go into single payer universal health care system. And yet here we are yeah. still struggling. Marianne? But we need a real health care system. Everything we're talking about here tonight, for the most part, is a sickness care system. We need to ask ourselves not just about the insurance issues, not just about how doctors treat us. We need to talk about why so, so many women in America have heart disease to begin with. And it is the largest killer. The, one of, the primary reason why heart disease is such an issue in the United States is the quality of our food. And this has to do with the same uh, economic factors that are why we don't have enough, uh, enough uh, health insurance to begin with. Because big ag, big chemical companies, the big food, the food industrial complex is huge. So many of the toxins that are in our food, everything from GMOs to uh, the corn syrup to everything else to the sugars that are not even allowed in other countries. Now, I don't agree that this is inherent to capitalism. This is unfettered capitalism. This is unregulated capitalism. In other countries, many aspects of the, of the food supply in the United States would not be allowed. And some of the, some of the, the highest health indicators around the world have to do with countries that have both capitalist and socialist uh, pieces. But I don't think we're, we're, I don't think that we're victims here. I think we need to stand up about these things. I think the women of the United States, for the sake of our own bodies, uh, for the sake of our families, do have to talk more about what's happening in American food supply, do have to talk more about what's happening in things such as American agriculture, American chemical companies. It's an entire corporate matrix. In that sense, you can't really see what's happening with big insurance companies as that different than what's happening in big pharmaceutical companies, as that different than what's happening in big agricultural companies, as that different than what's happening in big chemical companies or big oil companies or the military, all the environmental factors, whether it has to do with the, the fact that our military uh, establishment is the larger po largest polluter, whether it has to do with the fact that we're not dealing with all the toxins in our water, so I think we need to um, make sure that our conversation has as much to do with what things are causing us to be sick as it has to do with the factors that will help us to get well once we are. Mm, well said. Um, everyone watching, the Women's Summit continues on. I'm going to the next panel, which is Women in the Workplace. I have to say thank you to all the panelists tonight. It was great to see all of you again, and it was great to see all of you on the same panel. So thanks mm -hmm. so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you, Sabi. Good luck with your summit. Thanks for listening. You can watch the video of this podcast at Sabi Sab's channel on YouTube.